I came to him after church. I said, Mark, two days ago, in the scriptures, I read this, and I shared it with him. And he goes, wow, that really, that really matches. And then the, but he blew me off, because he always does. <laughs> then the next day, I can't remember details, if he heard a sermon or podcast or, I don't know, but he, someone else mentioned the same passage. And then his, his radar went up, like, oh, this is important. So then he came back to me and said, John, would you like to teach on that little passage? I said, okay. And then when I went into it, it's like, well, I have to teach this, and I have to explain this, and, and here's a sermon. So he said, all right, you got June 23rd, so here I am. So I'm going to try to share with you what the Lord shared with me, and a little bit more, and, um, and I really feel like God wants to bless us today, so I'm excited about that. Um, let's see if you've been listening to Mark. Finish this sentence. We cannot have the word without the... And we cannot have the... Without... You got that, right? He said it only once, or... Okay, he said it about 20 times every week for weeks. So I think we got that one. Um, Mark's been emphasizing that after Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit doing so much, working God's work in us all the time. The works, the ministry, the effects of the Holy Spirit are ongoing. Paul writes about it in many places, and Mark camped on the last three weeks in Romans 8. Three weeks? I'm just seeing if I can count. Um, so some of the things we just learned just from Romans 8, just one chapter of the Bible, is that the Holy Spirit helps us live righteously before God. Can you do it on your own? The flesh is opposed to the things of the Spirit, and the Spirit opposed to the things of the flesh. There's no way we could do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. Uh, the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. God will give life to our mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in us. We will live by the Spirit if... We will live, excuse me, I said that wrong. I can't even read my own writing. We will live if, by the Spirit, we put to death the deeds of the body. Mark, I remember spending a lot of time talking about our spirit of adoption, that we are children of God. And what's the one thing that we cry out as, as children of God? Abba, Father. Just that daddy. And that's because of the Holy Spirit in us. And the one thing you talked a lot about last week, explaining about, is the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And he prays according to the will of God. Do you always pray according to the will of God? I've, I've never prayed for that selfish thing, right? But the Holy Spirit prays according to the mind of God so that uh, we are actually being prayed for according to his will. Now, those are just some things I've picked up from Romans 8. That's not all that Mark has taught about in that, chap the, that chapter. And he's also spoken about many other things the weeks prior. I picked up a few things, like from the Gospel of John. In Jesus, uh, last night with his, his disciples, he said a few things, quite a few things, and a few of them just about the Holy Spirit. For instance, in John chapter 14, 
He's the spirit of truth. Also in John 14, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have spoken to you. I like that. I claim that because I need to remember the words of God that I've learned, the words of Jesus. In John 16, Jesus said that he will guide you into all truth. So he's a guide. And in the same chapter, he will glorify me. So the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. I like those. I've read those a billion times, I think. Um, But also, outside of the Gospel of John, in Acts, Mark has mentioned this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be a power to be a witness, to testify about Jesus. One thing that Mark has not spoken about yet, that's plainly obvious in Scripture, is the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you might have a different word than what I just said because translations might vary a little bit. But the fruit of the Spirit. Do you get the fruit? Is it the fruit of the flesh? No. Fruit of hard work? No, no, no. So that's a big one. And it's, that will probably be talked about sometime. Or maybe it's just a whole other sermon series on its own. Next week? Oh, sorry. Should I just sit down now and we'll just wait for next week? Okay. Okay. So, with all these things, Mark is revealing to us that we know that's in Scripture, all these things about the Holy Spirit's work and activity in our lives. I want to have share this passage with you that will uh, hopefully do the little application that we should always be doing, although I think Mark has hinted at it already or spoken about it. So hopefully you have your Bibles and you're ready to read a few passages together. So let's turn to the big passage for today, Luke chapter 11. Now the passage we're going to read in Luke 11 has a parallel passage in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, the words are identical until the last bit. That's just a warning that we're going to read this one in Luke, particularly because of the last bit. So that's that's why I'm choosing the one in Luke. So you'll, you'll say, oh, I've read this before, heard this before. I surely hope you have. Okay, so Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 9. Jesus says this. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. I am certain we've all heard these words before, right? Your teachings on this. Um, These are pretty classic quotations of Jesus. Um, And I'm sure you might have heard this, that 
teachers on this subject, on this passage, would say, um, the Greek for this is really keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. It's not a one ask, it's a continual ask. The principle of Jesus' writing this, and the principle that's usually brought out correctly, is to be persistent in prayer. To be persistent. There's some things, like, God, what's your will for my life? You don't ask once and know it all for your life. You've got to keep on probably asking that one. And I probably could give you lots and lots of examples, but it's being about persistent and praying and seeking and waiting for that answer. Um, how many of you have used this kind of application, these verses in your life? Raise your hand if you kind of got this sometime. Yeah, okay, lots of you guys. So we keep seeking God because we trust in him. Now, um, as soon as we are all saved, there's something that probably happened. You're like, hey, I like this God idea. And you want to know more about God. And you find out all the great things he's done for you. And your love for him grows over time. And I learned more and more as I spent time with him. I also found out about this thing called worship. That being in God's presence in worship, having a, not just saying or singing, but having a worshipful heart, there's great healing in God's presence. There's great joy in his presence. There's great refreshing. And that's all I want is to be in God's presence. That's why heaven is going to be such a cool place, because you don't have to leave his presence. I'm hoping that many of you have felt that way too. Like, worship, hey, don't have that end. Let's keep it going. God's presence is amazing, and we want more of God. Does wanting more of God and this ask, seek, and knock go together? Absolutely. Now, Christians have this doctrine called believing in a triune God. Triune means what? Three in one. Tri, like tricycle, and un for unity. Three in one. We believe in a God the Father, God the Son, and God the... If you want more of God, do you want more of just one person of the Trinity? No, you want all the persons of, you want all of God. And so I think that I desire, and you probably desire, more of the Father's love and grace and blessing in your life. Amen? Yeah. You probably have a desire to have more of the living word of God penetrating you and encouraging you and working in you to live a godly life, right? And you probably desire more of the Holy Spirit's working in your life with that long list that Mark's been teaching us about week after week, that's growing week after week. You know, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. We can't do that on our own. We need it by the Spirit working us, and I want more of that. Because then I'll be, if you, if you allow me to say this, I'll be a more successful Christian, but also will fulfill all that God desires for me. 
and I'll glorify him. You can grow in the fruit of the Spirit. So, how many of you want more of the Spirit in your life? Raise your hand if you want more of the Holy Spirit working and moving in your life. Great. And so now you're, you're coming to the big thing that I want. It's these next few verses. So let's read them. Let's go back to Luke 11 and keep reading on some familiar words. So now we're on verse uh, 11. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That last phrase, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is application. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, which a lot of you raised your hand, what do you got to do? Wow. Is this a promise? I I believe so. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question, yet he is promising you can get the Holy Spirit. You can have more. You can ask for more. But it's a keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on not. Don't stop with a one ask. Could you ask today and tomorrow and the next day and always? Well, I certainly don't want to say, oh, God, thank you for one touch in my life. I want more of that. Thank you, God, for one great time of worship. No, I want more of that. Thank you, God, for one time in the word where you spoke. No, I want more of that. And I want more of the Holy Spirit. I think you do too, and I want to encourage you to ask continually for the fullness of the Spirit in your life. Amen? All right. So that's my application. Write it down. From this day forward, henceforth, I shall ask, seek, and knock. Okay? So I'm I'm just, I'm just wrapping up what... Mark's been teaching on, and he's going to teach on more. Fruit of the Spirit next week. Be here. So that's the big deal. If you walk away with that, I feel like I've done my job. Because that's what I felt like God wanted to share. Without Mark, I'm going to add one more layer on the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in Scripture a few times. Actually, there are Four distinct lists of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Three of them that Paul speak about. One in Romans 12, one in 1 Corinthians 12, and one in Ephesians 4. And then even Peter, in 1 Peter 4, talks briefly about it. Only lists two gifts. So there's four places, though, you can look at gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I want to look into these. And I want you to remember, right off the bat, before we get any farther, spiritual gifts are given by the Holy Spirit to minister or serve one another. Did you catch that? I want to make sure nobody thinks at the beginning, oh, spiritual gifts are for me. No. They're given to you to give to others, or whatever they are, 
in your serving, in your giving, all those things. They aren't for you to hoard. It's a gift to be given. It's a gift to be given. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. I will focus just on 1 Corinthians 12 today. Um, and I'll read through this and just look at gifts as the next layer. I'm going to call it a layer right now. Mark's been laying layers of information about the Holy Spirit. Here's another one. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians 12. I shouldn't say information. I'd say activities of the Holy Spirit. Sorry. Verse 7. And we'll read through 7 through 11. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So that's an introductory to spiritual gifts, like really fast, boom. There's a whole bunch of them, same spirit, lots of gifts, And the first verse, though, verse 7 that we read, it's each is given for the common good. How do you get a gift? Someone chooses to give it to you. Do you earn it? Do you work it up? Do you have to meet qualifications? My sons got birthday gifts. They had one qualification. They were my son. You are God's children. You meet a qualification to be given a gift. You don't have to be mature. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to have paved your ties. You're just given a gift. Is it for you? It's for the common good. It's for others. Okay, well, that's one part. Let's just turn a little bit more. Next chapter, well, we're skipping chapter 13 for a moment. Chapter 14. Well, I just want to read two verses of chapter 14. The first verse of chapter 14 says, Paul writes, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. What do we pursue? What do we pursue? Love. We pursue love. We we go for love. We need love. Chapter 13 is a whole chapter on love. That is essential because God is love. That is his nature and character. That is to be our nature and character. Who he is is who we are to be. So that's not negotiable. you got to be love. If you're not loving, then you're not of... That's 1 John, by the way. He was not of love, is not of God, does not know God. For God is love. Pursue love first, but the middle part I'm going to focus on right now, 
yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Oh, we can desire them. You're not going to be earning it, but you can desire a spiritual gift. That's that asking, seeking, knocking, right? Oh, God, give me gifts so I can give them to others. Give me gifts so I can give them to others. The spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, I have natural gifts, and I have spiritual gifts. The natural gifts, thank you, God, I think they're pretty much mine for a while. Like my personality, maybe any abilities I have, things like that, those are mine. But the spiritual gifts, God can give at a later time. And so I want those spiritual gifts so that he can work his glory in and through me. But I need it by the Holy Spirit, the gift is given, and I need the Holy Spirit to give me the ability to operate in that gift correctly, whatever that gift is. We just read a bunch in the 12th chapter. And I want to finish it with one more um, verse here. If you drop down, same chapter, verse 12, Paul finishes kind of this little thought by saying, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church or the building up of the church. But I think that it kind of explains itself. Be zealous for spiritual gifts. If these gifts are given by the Holy Spirit, they must be good gifts. Right? They're good gifts. And they are not to be despised. Right? We don't despise them. Thank you, God. 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, say this. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances or gifts. All right. So, the thing I'm introducing today is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, and they're good gifts, and they're to serve one another, and we should zealously, earnestly desire them. And we can do that by asking and seeking and knocking all our days. As you can see in this little outline at the back of the bulletin, the next thing I want to talk about is elephants. Now, I do not mean Indian elephants or African elephants. Actually, I want to speak now, since I brought about gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to speak about the elephant in the room. Because it's right there, right now. And I know this because I've been there. So I want to speak about the elephant. Its name is fear. And some of you probably search in your heart, some of you can probably sense, yeah, I think I got a little fear in me. That's what I've been feeling as he's just talking. If you felt that, please recognize it. So I'm going to talk about fear. And you may not own any of this, but you might be able to understand the concept that might apply even to somebody else maybe in this room. So let's talk about fear. Where does fear and its power come from? Who owns the power of fear? The devil. Fear is not of God, is it? Okay, so I just, I just want to throw that out there. Let's talk about the elephant, right? 
Fear is not of God. Uh, there can be a holy fear, an awe, and a reverence for God. That's not the fear I'm discussing, right? That's a, probably a bad English word because it has multiple meanings. English has very words like very many words like that. So I find three types of fear. So I call them elephants. Three types. Number one, there's the fear of falling or hearing or someone teaching the wrong doctrine. This is the fear of error. And some of you have probably been under this kind of teaching. You might have been taught that the ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit were for the apostles' time, and they're not for today. That teaching's been around many a year, and it drives up fear. It's, the outcome is not good. And so I want you, if you recognize that in you, to think about that. A teaching that, that binds you into a certain spot in the Bible is called a stronghold, a wrong way of thinking. It prevents you from the freedom that's in Christ. So if you feel like that might be you, you might want to deal with that with God's help. Freedom, I'm sorry, the fear of wrong doctrine or of error will prevent you from realizing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, i.e. the gifts. A second elephant, another version of fear, is fear of acting in the flesh or emotionalism. By the way, I, I've, I can identify all these in my past, so don't think I'm just lecturing at any of you. I've been here. I've been to a lot of churches. Many of you may have too. I've been through a lot of expressions or streams of Christianity. And there are some that use the gifts, but they're pretty demonstrative in their use. And that's emotional, yes. There's a large spectrum of spirit-filled believers. Uh, they run the gamut. And I like to call them, don't quote me, sorry, I'm using labels. I apologize for that. But on this side might be charismatic light. And over here might be Pentecostal loud. And I have been there. I have seen these. I've known people, close friends, and they're on everywhere on this spectrum. You may have been in contact with weirdness or out-of-control people. You may have been in a place where they pressured you to speak in tongues. And you know that phrase, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater? Just because there's a weirdo out there doesn't mean you need to throw out all the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? So I'm just want to address that. I, my wife will say I'm weird, but I am not one of those emotional types that I'm not way over here, and I, I don't want to hide it and put the, the gift I've been given under a rock either. So I, whatever you feel that might be in this category that's inside of you, deal with it right now before God. Make sure you have a healthy, spirit-filled attitude about the Holy Spirit. The third elephant and final one, I think, of fear is being, having the fear of being deceived, fear of deception. Now, deception is believing a lie, right? Who's the father of lies? Okay. 
Do you need to be fearful of falling for Satan's lies? Not if you are abiding in the word. Yes, you abide in the word. Deception doesn't have a chance on you, especially if you do it collectively. The body of Christ is the body, and collectively we can ascertain the lies of the evil one. So if you have a fear when I talk about this, recognize what kind of fear it is. And maybe not one of these three, it may be something else. And maybe you don't have any fear, which is awesome. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. So we can't fall in life, we're seeking the Holy Spirit. We're going to seek that. We're just not going to add all this other stuff. Um, in John chapter 14, I won't have you turn there. John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus told his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. And if you're a believer... You've got the Holy Spirit, right? First gift that God gives us. So, in summary of this elephants section, fear does not equal faith, right? Probably the opposite. Fear can be equal to unbelief. And fear leads to disobedience. So, let's take fear... And in Jesus' name, let's put it in a bag and throw it in the middle of the sea, okay? Let's get rid of fear right now. Let's focus on the, the hope we have that we will follow Jesus and he will not lead us into error. We'll follow his Holy Spirit and everything that the Holy Spirit brings to our life and we'll not fall into error. And when I talk about gifts of the Spirit or we talk about ministry gifts or spiritual gifts, let's not have fear. No place for that. Okay. I'm so excited about this. You have no idea. What is this? This is a brick. That's my object. You see, in the Old Testament, prophets would proclaim things, and they'd have these prophecies. But they also, from time to time, did prophetic acts. Prophetic acts. This is a brick. Ezekiel was given a task to use a brick. Now, I'd have you turn here, because it's so amazing, but I'm just going to read it to you from Ezekiel chapter 4. If you want to write that down, read it later, you can. But I want to read from Ezekiel 4 because Ezekiel was asked by God to do an act, some, some sort of action with the brick. So I want you guys to imagine Ezekiel about five, 591 B.C. Ezekiel was um, exiled to Babylon from the southern kingdom of Judah 
when Nebuchadnezzar came with his first invasion of the southern kingdom. So he was taken with 3,000 Jews, taken to Babylon, and there is where he gave this prophecy before the second and final Babylonian invasion. So I'll read this to you from Ezekiel 4, verses 1 through 3. Now you, son of man, get yourself a brick, place it before you, and inscribe a city on it, Jerusalem. Then lay siege against it. Build a siege wall. Raise up a ramp. Pitch camps and place battering rams all around it. Then get yourself an iron plate and set it up as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it so that it is under siege and besiege it. This is a sign to the house of Israel. Did you imagine just then what I was doing? Could you imagine writing Jerusalem on this and making this little ramp and battering ram and little camps? And Why did God have him do that? As a sign. Within six years, the Babylonians came and did just that to Jerusalem. They put up battering rams and ramps and sieged it and put camps all around and totally destroyed Jerusalem. So Ezekiel didn't just say the words, he had to do a prophetic act. Does everybody understand the concept of prophetic act now? There's more I could bring up. Some action that's prophetic, and it happened six years later. Now, do you know that Jesus did a prophetic act? He did more. Remember when he put mud on someone's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam? Was the mud the healing element? <laughs> no, it was the power of God. Here's one I want to speak on, though, that uh, Jesus did. On the day of his resurrection, in the evening, Jesus appeared to his 11 disciples in a locked-up room. And in John chapter 20, verse 22, we read, And when he, Jesus, had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. You guys remember that? Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. Did the apostles receive the Holy Spirit right then? It's not a trick question. Did the apostles receive the Holy Spirit when he breathed on them? No. Didn't that happen at the day of Pentecost, 50 days later? <clears throat> Say yes. Okay. <laughs> In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the author wrote, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So they were filled with the the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So Jesus did a prophetic act that was fulfilled 50 days later. Ezekiel did a prophetic act that was done six years later. There's other acts that are performed much later, they can be performed right away. So I want to talk about one that's done right away. Well, in this case. And um, the notes say we're going to do some reading in Acts. So would you please turn to Acts chapter 8. So the prophetic act I want to talk about um, is the laying on of hands which is done frequently by the early church. And we do it today, right? 
hey, I want prayer. I come up at the prayer corner, and we lay hands on you. We pray for you, right? Is the laying on, did I touch you? Did that make something happen as soon as I put my hand? No. So it's prophetic in that sense. So let's read about this. In Acts chapter five, uh, 8, sorry, chapter 8, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. He's later known in the church as Philip the Evangelist. He went to, to Samaria, who were non-believers, and preached, and they repented, and they believed. It was amazing. You could read more of the verses later at home on your own. But something had not happened yet. So they had not received the Holy Spirit. Let's jump to verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. You guys get the idea? They prayed, they laid hands. It's as if I'm giving the gift of the Holy Spirit that I've received onto you. It's as if that. What about the Apostle Paul? How did he receive the Holy Spirit? Do you remember his trip to Damascus? You guys remember that? He's on the Damascus Road, walking along. And he, um, the Lord Jesus appears to him, and he has this conversation. He didn't see anything, because he was blinded by the light, but he had a conversation with the Lord Jesus. Do you know he became a believer at that moment? It's kind of hard to have a conversation with a dead guy and not believe, right? Like, oh, wait, I guess he did rise from the dead. So he became a believer, but he fasted and prayed for three days until a man named Ananias showed up, who was a believer, who the Lord spoke and said, come to him. Uh, turn just I, to the next chapter, chapter 9, uh, verse 17 and 18. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. There, that's how Paul got the Holy Spirit. Not when he believed, but when he was, someone prayed for him, laid his hands on him, and he received the Holy Spirit. Likewise, Paul laid his hands on some disciples in Ephesus so that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, please turn to chapter 19. So there was um, some disciples that he laid his hands on too. I'm going to read seven verses here. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth... Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said, into what, and were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who is coming after him. That is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So I'm just trying to make clear to you guys, a prophetic act is laying on of hands. We do it even today. So I'm going to connect a few things I've already done with you that were separate, and we're going to apply them right now. Put them to, I'm going to put them together. I think nearly everyone here would love to have more of the Holy Spirit in their life. And I have encourage you at the beginning to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. To ask for all of God, his word, and his spirit in your life. And when you save more of this Holy Spirit, you always want his gifts in your life as well. So I'm going to ask you to do three things right now in preparation for this. First off, if you have any resistance to the Holy Spirit or his gifts or to learning more or growing, you need to repent. It's the first thing you need to do is repent. Turn from that. Say, God, I'm blowing it. I, or I have blown it. Second, ask the Holy Spirit for more of his presence and his work in your life. Pretty simple. So repent and ask. And the third, keep asking, seeking, knocking for the rest of your life. And what's Jesus' promise? You're going to get it. You're going to get it. Get more of the Holy Spirit day by day. And it may be right away. It may be in 50 days. It may be in six years. No, I don't think it would be that one. But um, God will work in you and work in you over time. I just know that. So uh, I'm going to try to describe this right. I want you to do this every day for the rest of your life, but obviously I don't want you to miss the opportunity of doing it right now. So we're going to do, that, do this right now, too. And I'm going to do it also as a prophetic act. When you, um, when you receive a gift from someone, you come up to them and you get it from them, right? We're going to do that right now. I'm going to ask you in a few moments here, to do just that. Symbolically, I'm going to ask you all that want to have more of the Spirit in your life to come forward up, right up here. I'm going to ask you to put out your arms like you're going to receive a gift, kind of like a prophetic act. And we're just going to ask. And we're going to wait and see if God will speak something to you. Yes, God does speak to our hearts and minds. So we're going to be quiet so that God can speak to you. That means you can't talk. Right? It's one of those, oh God, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your will. Please, I love you, God. You're so good. You're so blah, 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 blah. Were you listening for God's response? <laughs> so, as Dave likes to say, turn on the radio so you can listen. Do you know that you can talk over radio and not hear it? Don't talk over the radio. Turn the radio receiver on and wait to listen. So it may be the most awkward five minutes of your life up here of silence, but that's what we're going to do. And then I'm going to do a prophetic act. 
for anybody that comes up here, I'm going to real briefly put my hands on your head or your shoulders, and I'm going to say, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to do that to each person. And, and this is for more, too. Maybe you already think, I already got the Holy Spirit, but I want more. It's for more. It's not just one time, because it's a keep on. And, and someone may, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit may come upon them, and they might feel something, like joy. And they may get excited. It's okay. Don't be distracted by that. Or they may be overwhelmed with joy and start weeping. Weeping for joy. So don't be bothered by someone else, how they're thinking, feeling, or acting. Let's t- is that okay with you guys? Yes, this is opportunity for weirdness. I know that. I know that. Okay. This is normal? Okay, weirdness is normal. I just heard it. No, I'm, no, it is normal, but let's just ask for those that want more of the Holy Spirit. If you want to, like, I'm just going to sit back here because I'm not ready, that's okay. Or you may say, you know what, I'm going to sit back here and pray for those up here. That's okay, too. But I'm hoping that everybody, wherever they're at, they're praying for themselves, that you would receive more. You guys got that? After we do this awkward five minutes, for some of you, it'll be awkward. After that, then we'll have a final worship song. So we're like, so then you'll know that it's over with. All right, so, okay, we're done. Does everybody understand what I'm trying to do? Okay. Those that would like to, come forward to ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Okay, you guys did the first part. And do this, yeah? Like, okay, just receive from God. That's what I was taught many years ago. And I don't know why, that's what I stick with. And I'm just gonna, I'll start over here, I guess. I'll just touch people. And you can say it out loud or quietly, ask, and just wait. Let's see what God does, right? What the Holy Spirit wants to do to each of us.